Hi, friends. Welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast, hosted by Liz Basil Lewison at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week, I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story, and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. I have one of my best friends in the world here today, one of my best friends from college. I'm so excited to be on an episode with her and to bring some of her infinite wisdom. She is so wise. She's a year younger than me, and I just feel like she has been a mentor to me since the moment I met her. She's just very strong and intelligent and just a loving, loving person. So will you introduce yourself? Yes. Well, thank you for that introduction. I feel like I I just feel so great about myself now. But um, <laughs> my name's Emma Delanoy, maiden name Leonard, for those of you from college and everything who might be listening in. But yeah, as Liz said, we met in college playing lacrosse together. And I'm just really excited to be here today. I'm really pumped and supporting my girl with this podcast and flattered to be um, invited to speak with her. Well, thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of like a quick like resume version, because I know lots about you, um, but our listeners don't know why I'm so impressed by you. All right. So um, first of all, I love this because I work currently as a career advisor. So elevator pitches are my thing. I'm used to coaching people in there. So actually having to step back and think of my own is interesting. But yeah, so career advisor at a university. And it's taken me a little bit to get to this point in my career. I've done some different things. But it's my favorite job to date, or favorite professional job, I guess I should say. And um, You mean bartending at Falvo's wasn't your <laughs> most favorite job? Bartending one night a week in college was a very awesome experience, and I think it did prepare me for like thinking on my feet, quick math, all those skills. But yes, so I just love what I do, and I love talking about it with anyone and everyone who will listen to me, whether they want career advice or not. So, um, but so that's what I do professionally. As I said, it took me a little bit to get here. I first started off in my experience as a substance abuse counselor, actually both in a correctional facility and then in outpatient. And then, so my background in psychology and counseling brought me to now career advising, kind of the coaching piece. But then personally, as Liz said, I went to a small liberal arts Catholic college, St. Vincent, go Bearcats. It brought me far from home, about nine, 10 hours from where I grew up in Woodstock, Connecticut. So it was a great experience. And I think that almost everyone who attended St. Vincent can say it's really the people that make up that school and the people you meet and the relationships you make when you're there. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like the people that I've met there. And I'm just so it's such an awesome experience. Totally. So yeah, I got to play sports there, which is so fun. Why not play sports, do school, figure out life and have fun in the meantime. And then before that, growing up rural Woodstock, Connecticut from a pretty large family, five kids and two parents that are just amazing. They uh, just celebrated 46 years of marriage. And I love them so much. Yeah, so pretty much top role models. I always say, or I said this recently, I've had a beautiful, mediocre life thus far. Um, (laughs) And not mediocre in a negative way, but more so just like I haven't done anything extremely significant. I haven't started a 
business. I haven't done anything extremely impactful in my opinion, I guess I should say. Um, Really, I just try and treat others fairly and grow and be kind and be a better person than I was the day before. And now I'm raising my own family. So I'm married, been married for over five years now, which is crazy. And I have two beautiful boys, four-year-old, two-year-old, Ronan and Griffin. And I've just learned so much. I love them so much too. (laughs) They are, in my opinion, two of the funniest people I know. So um, (laughs) a little biased. um, (laughs) And it is so funny. A a comedian, I heard this from a comedian where he was like, having children is so selfless. And it's like, it's not selfless. You're literally creating many versions of yourself and you can't stop talking about how awesome they are. So really, (laughs) really, it's an extremely selfish thing that, that you're doing (laughs) so but you are pretty awesome and so is your husband will um and so I wish that we could make more of you I that's literally (laughs) what I said when I (laughs) when I asked you to be on I'm like I need to sprinkle some Emma around the world so if you could come (laughs) on the podcast and teach some things so many comments on what you had to say I mean first just starting with what you said about helping kids with writing their resume and elevator pitches are your thing and it's so funny how It's so easy to say nice things about other people, but when it comes to saying kind things about ourselves or having to talk ourselves up, it's so much harder. When I was in Kuwait, a bunch of my friends and guys on my squad had to take a resume writing class. Basically, anybody who wasn't sure about their job, if they were going to come back to the same job when they got back from the deployment, they had to go to a resume class. And I loved my job before the deployment, so I didn't have to go, but I was really the only person that had any experience writing resumes. So they all came back the second or third day of their class and they're like, we have to have a resume written by Friday. Will you write it for me, Basil? I'm like, yeah, sure. I love writing resumes and not doing work and doing other things that are unrelated to work. So I literally wrote four or five resumes that week. And then I was like, you know, I should really work on my resume. Even though I don't want to change my job, I haven't updated it in four years at that point, three or four years. I was like, this would be such a great thing to just have for when I get home from the deployment. And I couldn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it for three more years. I just did it like this year. (laughs) So just so funny. And so like, I don't know, womanly of us, but also like human of us. Mm And then what you said about having a beautifully mediocre life. I mean, that like blows me away that you say that and that you think that because I see you as, you know, and I wrote this on your wedding card and I I tell you this all the time, but I just see your life as so, so beautiful. And in your relationship, you've just always exuded love and confidence and you've just been such an incredible friend to everybody around you and just seeing like the love that your parents have. And then most recently, the most impressive thing I mean, just just being a mom, I think is like such a superpower, like just being a parent, I really think is just such a superpower. And I just have such respect for parents at all. I mean, who are trying their best because I'm trying my best and I don't have anybody that I'm responsible for. And it's hard (laughs) to also be responsible for two tiny humans is crazy impressive. But the most impressive thing to me that was very not mediocre at all was the the ruck that you recently competed in. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So 
as you said, I've been juggling a lot, juggling kids, work, family, social life. And then I decided to add a couple things to my plate in this past year. And the ruck or the tough ruck was one of them. So the tough ruck is a, it's part of the Boston Marathon weekend and it's a fundraiser, tough ruck, marathon ruck. So 26.2 miles and you complete it with a rucksack on your back. It has to be a minimum of 15 pounds. You can sign up to do like the super heavy, like 30 or 60, but I kept kept small small goals um so signed up to do yeah, that 6.2 real low low goals just low goals. bare minimum yeah so it, it's great because it's a fundraiser for the military friends and family foundation so it supports gold star families and you know what better way to give back but also like, to challenge yourself i had right. never done anything like that. Number one, if you know me, you know I hate running. Barely (laughs) love working out, which is interesting from someone who played two sports in college. But I think if you can remember, anytime we had weight training days, I could be found usually on the mats pretending to do abs with like my iPod in. And yes, I say iPod because (laughs) that's what we had at the time. So yeah, so it was, gosh, when I signed up for it, it was like November, October. So last fall. And it had been something that actually my work puts together a team and that's how I knew about it that's how I'd heard about it the past few years ever since starting to work at the university I work at it was always something that caught my attention it was like you know I've come from a military family of a lot of friends and family who currently serve and on all different branches so it's always been a huge part of my life and something that I value and something that I respect very highly. So being able to give back in that way, but also it was something that was just for me. So previously before signing up, I had had two babies. They're 21 months apart. So very quick pregnancies that I was blessed with that went very smoothly, grew my family very quickly after being married. Only six months, we got pregnant with our first. And then so basically for a while, and once you become a parent or even, you know, once you're blessed with a child and you aren't just living for yourself anymore, you aren't doing things for yourself. And that can start sometimes in marriage and that can start really at any point in a relationship. You're not really doing things just for you. Right. You always have someone else in the back of your head and it just kind of speaks to maybe my work ethic a little bit of I strive to serve others. It's just in my nature to do that. So back to the tough rock. So the tough rock in April, it happens on Boston Marathon weekend. It's the Sunday before it. And yeah, so I had to prepare for this 26 mile 26.2 mile ruck. You could run it, you could hike it, you could walk it. It didn't really, you know, there wasn't like a time limit, which was why I also chose it. it was because I didn't feel the pressure of needing to run a full 26 miles. Granted, I don't know if I would have been able to do that with that rucksack on, but right. Um, but yeah, so I started, started my training in the winter, you know, just set aside time running throughout the week, trying to get long runs in during the weekend, which it would be like two hours of my time and not just my time, but like my family's time. I had a lot of support from my husband, from Will, who took on the kids, distracted them, took on, you know, kind of picked up the slack while I was doing this training um, and working. And I also had just started my master's. So I was doing some courses too at the same time. So it really went such chaos when I can't, I remember you saying that you signed up for this and I was like, wait, didn't you just literally just sign up for school also? I was like, are you you sure? (laughs) It was just kind of those things where it's like, I, I received it all through, I received different emails and it was like a day where I must've just felt like 
yep, I'm doing this. This is for, this is what I'm going to do. I felt really empowered and really driven and motivated. And if I didn't do it then, then I probably would have talked myself out of it again, which I had done in years previous, like the year before I could have done it, but I was like, I just had the baby. I'm not ready. I don't think I feel like running. So. And that right there, that is the moment of courage that you said, that's the edge of fear moment because Mm -hmm. it's like, you're standing at the edge of the cliff, jetpack on. Do I do it or do I not? Do I jump? Do I not? Do I let fear keep me back again from this thing that I've been like, you know, wanting to do, thinking I could do, maybe I can do this. So I, I love that because you did, you really didn't give it a second thought. You just had a couple of emails. You're like, yeah, I feel good today. I could do 26, 22 miles. <laughs> So this was like your gift it's like to long you. distance running in the past four years has been right. Well, yeah, running, I mean, has been like, who wants to do that? I remember Coach Jim in field hockey, the one semester <laughs> I played field hockey, would call our 10-mile run fun runs. That was the yeah. semester I signed up for the Army, actually. It was like <laughs> a true result of Coach Jim because I was like, if I can run 10 miles, I could totally I could run more. It. Yeah, I, I can but- do the Army. It is so true because once you reach a certain part, like a certain mile, you're like, okay, I can't feel my legs. We're just going to keep going. Yeah. But yeah, so really just with that, with that training and everything, um, it helped because I was doing it with coworkers mm-hmm. and two right. in particular. Yeah. yeah. So I had two of my girlfriends from work in particular that and we were all kind of motivating each other, supporting each other. Like, again, you don't want to waste a Saturday morning rocking but you had to do it and that was your and for me you know as a parent that was the only time I could do it I did strength training during the week short runs during the week and then one day out of the weekend was my long ruck day or run and along the way I used like a half marathon to help train because I was like okay 13 miles will help me gauge how I can do and I did horrible in it and I was like I'm gonna die I can't do this um (laughs) but yeah so I just kept like I said Will was a huge support and he kept being like no you probably should go out and try aim for this mile this time and I try and talk myself back of like well if I go for 16 miles today that's gonna take me so long and he's like just do it just get it over with just go do it boys are fine they're gonna nap soon you're not gonna miss anything so like those mental that he knew he must have known I needed or if even if he didn't know that I needed that like validation is that the right word yeah yeah like you needed to be like that little that little push yeah because mom guilt is just so real it's it's there of you know and especially for me because I work my kids are in daycare I already feel like or felt Oh, feel current, current feeling. I already feel mm-hmm. like I miss out and I'm neglecting them and, and everything, but I also know myself very well and I know my patience and what I can handle. And I know that working and doing what I do and the self-care aspect is what I need to be a good mom too. So preparing for this tough wreck, working out in general, it's something that I just need. It's become part of my daily routine, which I never thought would be the case. Again, going back to sports and college, like I hated working out. That was, you know, if we were playing the game, practice even loved it great give me that you know I I needed that like incentivizing of like that competitive nature um but competing with myself no thanks like not not as fun but now it's something that if I don't work out for a little bit raise my heart rate it could be any type of workout yoga whatever if I don't take that time for myself even just like 20 minutes then I know I'm not being the best version of myself for the day because 
I'm anxious. I can feel that something's missing and it shows. And I think it shows right. to my, my family or whoever I'm around. It's, it's crazy to think that that's where I've gotten to is kind of that health factor. Cause I never thought that that would be me. Yeah. And I think it's just, it, it comes back to really like learning and knowing about yourself. Cause for some people, I mean, I, I truly believe that everybody is their better self when they're getting some movement in. I really do think that besides just like the long-term benefit of being somebody who works out and exercises regularly of potentially being able to live longer and be able to move your body longer. I always am so taken aback when I see pictures of a 70 year old next to a 70 year old and one is doing like gymnastics and competing at old people gymnastics and the next and the other person is literally wheelchair bound. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just, you can never know what's going to happen. I mean, cause you could, you could get hurt while exercising and that's what a lot of people are afraid of. And, you know, I always like hated doing squats cause I'm like, I have bad knees and like I have bad quads and hamstrings, but like by, by exercising, you're strengthening those muscles, those weaknesses. And like by, especially by exercising, right. So I really do feel like everybody benefits from moving. But I also feel like you have to like know yourself and like, and get to that point of like, okay, I'm in a season right now. And it's very important for me to care about myself. I mean, it's it really is always important for you to care about yourself. But when you realize it in the season that like, oh, these positive behaviors, this discipline of staying on top of my personal well being is making me a better version of myself. Like you said, like I'm more patient, I'm more kind, I'm a better friend, I'm a better daughter, I'm a better sister, I'm a better listener, I'm a better whatever. For me, like I have realized this year so much that if I don't exercise three times a week, even just a walk, even just walking the dog, but like exercising three times a week is super important to me. And I have to meditate minimum five minutes a day, I would say five days a week. And if I don't do those two things, you start to see the crazy come out. And like, it, I just I lose it. I, I, I'm not paying attention as well. My energy level is much lower. I'm much more lethargic. I'm lazier. And I just, I don't want to show up for me that way. Forget about how I show up for the world. Like I don't <laughs> want to show up for me that way because I know I'm not reaching my potential. So, I mean, that's, it's so valuable. And it's so interesting because I do know that you hated exercising. We, <laughs> we like exclusively liked the, not the exercise aspect, the team aspect. Yeah. It was always about the team. Um, mm -hmm. And I liked working out significantly more than you. And I really didn't love working out in college. So <laughs> exactly. You're always a good motivator with it. And it's always easier when it's with other people. Um, yeah. So that was another thing that this taught me as well is like that I can force myself to do it. I don't need someone else to make to motivate me to right. do something or do this. So so yeah, all in all, it was just there's no there's no words to really explain the tough rock experience, because it's not just overcoming, obviously, the physical exhaustion of doing something like that. But right. it's the people you're doing it with. So there's thousands and thousands of current military in their full and you can testify to this boots everything and they're doing it and they're wrecking for lost friends and for people in their units and everything and not only that but like gold star families were there cheering you on along the way which was crazy yeah it's like it's the whole energy of it that was like the biggest thing for me with 
the first ruck march that I did in basic training. And we had already been there. We had probably, it was probably like week four or five. It was definitely not the first week or two because the first, the first week because they like label it by like colors. So there's the black week, the red week, the blue week or whatever. I really don't remember what they were, but it's so <laughs> funny when they explain them to you at the end, once you have a relationship with your drill sergeants, they're like, yeah, black week is really just to emotionally break you down, mentally wear you down. And I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. It, everything you did made so much sense. But it's just, they're just screaming at you and yelling at you. And so the first two weeks are really just to like break you down to zero. And then they, we slowly like build each other back up. But just being in that energy for that first ruck, which I want to say was like 16 miles. And so really your first time really walking in the boots. Uh, I mean, at that point, you had been in boots all day, every day. So you're walking in boots, but you're not walking consecutively in boots. Mm -hmm. So it was just like blisters and your knees hurting and your hips hurting. And you have this rucksack on and I I think ours were 35 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, I when I competed in the best warrior competition, like years later, it was 40 pounds, but the regular rock and basic training was like 30 or 35. And it was, you know, my first time ever marching like that. I never would have ever in a million years done that. When I see people marching with like weighted vests on now, marching, when I see people Mm -hmm. working out with weighted vests on now, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you (laughs) choose that? Yeah. (laughs) Put that down immediately. (laughs) Save your knees. But just the energy of like being around other people. And so it's awesome that you got to experience that. I mean, obviously you had experienced that through high school and college sports of the camaraderie and the sportsmanship and teamsmanship and all of that. But the pushing yourselves and your coworkers, like pushing each other a little bit further, because like you have to do extra stuff. It's not just the days that you can get together together. You have to do things additionally on your own. But then also that whole camaraderie, the whole energy of the whole competition, like the the actual day of is what makes like every single piece of it worth it. Oh, that's so cool. I so wish I could have been there for it. Mm-hmm. It was and and the way that the course is, is you're doing loops a lot of the time. Yeah. So you're passing people as you go through loops. So as you're running by someone and, and for me, and I don't mean to like talk myself up, but I killed it that day. I don't know where it came from because during my training, I was beating all of the times, all of my, all of the times that I had set during my training. I was killing it. I ended up finishing third in my age group for women and then like 20 overall. It, I was like pretty, I mean, pretty high up there as far as finishing overall out of over a thousand people. So it was, I don't know where it came from and I can only say it was the energy and the motivation and like, yeah, the camaraderie of that. But so running past people, you know, random people were just like, you got this, like you're, you're killing it. And like, and like you'd pass the same people every time, obviously. And like, they would just have even better things to say. And they're like, they'd be like, you can go faster. You got this. Like, don't, (laughs) you don't need to walk right now. And it was just fantastic. Cause I was like, you're right. I can still run a little bit. Yeah. So I have a little bit left in the tank. A just little a little bit. bit. Left. Yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> That's so awesome. I don't think I really knew your numbers because I was just like so impressed by the whole thing that I was like, wow, she finished it. Like yeah. third for your age group for females. That's incredible. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I love it. And it was cool because the two other girls were from my team too. So as a team, we killed it. Yeah, um, we that's did very amazing. well. So, um, but granted, again, I want to stress, I was in running sneakers and comfortable socks and like comfortable clothes where I wasn't in my full, I wasn't in boots, wasn't in my full. No, screw those military gear. people. Screw those military people. They set themselves up for failure by wearing their combat boots. Idiots. <laughs> I think I think if they were doing it, I think they had to. I think it was part of like they had to do that. Idiots. No. <laughs> yeah, probably. You're definitely yeah. right. <laughs> it, was, it was probably told to do it. But, yeah, like orders um, or something. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I guess I cheated a little bit with that, but 22 pound rucksack, all that. Um, I had a lot of practice because. I mean, my kids were both in the 30-pound range, so I would literally <laughs> strap one of them on and go for my ruck. So That's that right. was How fun, old, too. Was, Griffin was that, – that was this past April? This past – so he was just about to be two. Okay. So he yeah. was he was on his feet when I came and visited in January. Yeah. But he probably loved that. Yep. I'd be like, okay, well, Mom's going to go for an hour-long walk. You want to come with me and just throw him on and go? So They funny. would usually pass out on my back, but it was perfect. It was what I needed. Yeah. <laughs> 30 Aww. pounds to train with. So. Hilarious. Yeah. That's so funny. They're also almost two years apart and they like weigh the same amount. Yeah. They're like three pounds difference. Griffin's kind of a monster with that. And so Ronan's funny. just, Ronan, I guess, takes after me kind of. I mean, the shorty of yeah. the family, I guess. Yeah. So being it's one the of, runt of the litter, the runt of the litter. So me, one of five, well, one of six, six kids and I'm the shortest, even though my, my little sister too, she's tall. And um, Emma's like an inch or two taller than me and she holds herself really tall. So she looks very tall where mm-hmm. I like kind of slouch. But when she said that she's the shortest in her family, I'm like blown away by that. Cause you're not yeah. short. You're just, you're like average. Thank you. And you're people welcome. need to understand I'm not short. <laughs> <laughs> But in my family, I am. It's my mom and I, my sisters are 5'10", 6 feet, and then my brother's 6'5", so there's that. And then yeah. my brothers-in-law, and we're all tall, so then there's me. Even my nephew is now taller than me. How old is he? Why is 13. Oh my god, yeah. he's already taller yeah. than you. That's he's, hilarious. He's like a head taller, like significantly taller than me. It's not he even, is. like a little bit. So funny. Yeah, so... So Ronan has the short but skinny, and then Griffin is just literally like a little monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. They they just have the funniest personalities, and the way that they feed off each other now is even more more fun. Can yeah. be very frustrating at times, but also fun. <laughs> um, something that I was another thing that I just I'm just gonna this whole episode will just be things I'm impressed by you about. <laughs> um, but. I was in Boston when when Ronan was having like his speech issues. So I was trying to like come up as much as possible. And like, I was obviously actively working with children at the time. So I felt like I was basically a doc. I was basically a doctor and I, (laughs) I can fix everything. Don't worry. Um, But I just like, I wanted to be there for it because Ronan was having um, like a speech delay. He was a little bit behind on where he was. And I was just so blown away by your, and I knew that you weren't, oh, it's fine. It's totally fine. I have no nerves at all about this. But you you kept it together. And even when teachers or doctors would tell you like, yeah, he's a little bit behind, you always like really kept it together. And you always had such confidence that, well, whether or not his speech develops perfectly fine, like I'm going to love him and it's going to be fine. And so 
that was just really impressive to me to be a young mother, which you were and still are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're still young and still a mom. (laughs) It was just really impressive to me to see that like wherewithal about you because I had been working with new moms at that point for several years already. And the fear that I would see in them when their child was like a little bit behind on anything. And it, it could have been something really minor. Like, I mean, nothing seems minor. Well, that's what I'm getting at. So nothing seems minor when they're that Mm -hmm. young. So just like kind of talk me through that, like the fears and, and how you like kept your cool about it and what other people were saying, because I haven't even really told anybody listeners wise, like what I'm even talking about. So just give me a little rundown on that. Yeah. So, so with Ronan, it wasn't some, I mean, it was a speech delay that I picked up on mostly just because of my nieces and nephews, the kids that I've been around right. um, in the industry. Right, a lot of experience with children. Yeah. Right. And the industry that I worked in before in social services, you know, you, I just like picked up on that. My husband's a special ed teacher. My sister-in-law, you know, works in that field and everything. So, and you as a parent and especially a parent of a brand new baby and you literally know nothing you're just comparing all the time which sucks that that's kind of what you have to do is kind of like gauge like different milestones and everything and really thankful for our pediatrician who was always just like straight down to earth to the point and he was just kind of like you know Emma he's like you really at this point it was like 18 months Ronan was honestly and it's it's kind of funny to say this now of like he was honestly just stubborn and couldn't be bothered to like explain what he wanted he was <laughs> typical first child where we were probably talking a little bit more him for him than we should have um but knowing him now and knowing his personality I don't think he would have even tried like right. he communicated in his own way right. um to me I think I built up some of that anxiety a little bit because of again the comparisons mm-hmm. but the way I think the reason why I kept my cool in a situation as a new hormonal mother who knows again knows nothing I think I kept my cool with it and something that I just try and remind myself is like there are people out there who just have it way worse always and I've unfortunately I've seen it I've seen it through my profession I've you know worked with families I've worked with kids I've worked with I've worked in in corrections I worked with um, incarcerated individuals and the stories I've heard and the things that we've discussed and and what people have gone through I just now anything I think that I could be faced in, even within my own family, I'm like, there's no comparison to that. So I think that was a big part of it. So I guess my experiences before Ronan really prepared me for no matter what's going to happen, it's going to happen. And if we need to utilize interventions, if we need to utilize, you know, whatever we need to do, we can do. And we'll have support through doctors and medicine and family and friends right. as needed. But yeah, I think also just from a from a young age, so I, I, I said earlier in the podcast, I, I'm one of five. And then Recently, I said I'm one of six kids. So the reason why I changed that. I um, was like, is, you definitely didn't say that the first time, but okay. Yeah, I'll, so I'll five, five to six. Um, so do so. I am one of six kids. The little brother who passed away, and that's why I mean five currently living right. um, siblings. So you know, easier than having to go into the whole backstory, which I didn't know if I was going to go into this today. But so my brother passed away after he had some complications at birth. And I think that also prepared me. I was 
four. Yeah. And Liz, you got to hear this story at my wedding when my dad mm. decided to tell it to everyone. <laughs> also probably unprepared, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. But my dad always said I saved his life from a young age. So um, the way I think I did that was because my role in the family from a young age was to be a fixer. And I referred to myself as that earlier too, is I'm a fixer. I want to always find a solution. Whenever there's conflict, I want to fix it. And that's where like, especially being from an Irish Italian Catholic family, there's always conflict. There's always yelling. It's how we communicate. Um, so right away, Emma comes into the world and I'm like ready to solve problems and everything. So with the Mary King, Ashley Olsen stuff, like solve a crime by dinner time. <laughs> we'll solve any crime. By dinner time. I'm with you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I think um, experiencing that loss at a young age in my family, obviously, it impacted me greatly. I saw what my parents went through. I saw what my older siblings went through who were more aware and more in tune with everything. But right. my, I think my child innocence is what also kind of helped because I was just like, oh, well, you know, yet Jacob's gone and that's sad, but he's in heaven. So he's better off than we are. So, and it was like, well, yes, you are probably correct because, you know, the world is kind of crappy. So, <laughs> you know what? So, yeah, so I think like having that experience and then again, reliving that experience kind of when um, my sister lost her um, third child. So my nephew kind of, you know, complications again with childbirth and stuff. So having those family experiences and still keeping my same mentality of like, we can get through this, we'll fix this, we'll solve this. It's, um, I think that's why I am the way I am when faced with, I guess, yeah. And, and challenges is I'm like, you know what, it can always be worse. And for me, I think it's important to have a higher power to believe in something bigger than yourself. Um, for me, that's, that's God and my faith. Um, and for anyone else, it could be something completely different. But I think that's also an important aspect of getting through the tough times. Yeah, totally. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, you know, such an intimate part of life. And I think like people are finally kind of starting to open up to things about, you know, miscarriages and stillbirths and, you know, losing children is, that is so serious. And I just can't even imagine. And, and just, I mean, I don't obviously have children of my own, but just even with working with children, it's just so precious and you just get to see the world through their eyes. And so to, to have a taste of that, you know, in the pregnancy and, and especially if you already have children, I just can't even imagine. My mom also had um, a miscarriage and, and they run in my family too. So it's been very much like a real fear of like, you know, am I going to even be fertile? Like, what if I don't even start trying to have kids until I'm 40? Like, do I even, you know, so like there's so many things about it and there's so many ways to like be mad at yourself or, you know, think I could have done this differently or, you know, what if we had done, I don't know. It's, it's just crazy. There's, there's so much to it. And so, but I think that a lot of people, never you, I've never really seen you in this light, but I think a lot <laughs> of people really don't go to that like gratitude when something negative happens and just very much what you're saying about like having, you know, having a higher power and knowing and believing that, you know, there's something better after this life. And if you're a good person and I mean, it's so crazy to me that you 
had that understanding so young at four years old, like to lose Jacob at four and to like already in some capacity be aware of that. But children are so damn smart. Like so smart. It's, they're so intuitive to like emotions and feelings and, and just like human needs. Like they're just so much more in tune with, with human need and connection mm-hmm. and things like that. So what a powerful thing that you could have done and like, fixer as an adult can get a little sticky but being a fixer as a kid can be like really really beautiful especially Mm -hmm. if you like are in a family that is like loving and supportive and your dad wasn't like an alcoholic and your mom wasn't abusing you and stuff so trying to be a fixer at four in in an instance like that could be really really detrimental to the rest of your life like oh I'll just date alcoholics and abusive you know partners and fix them them. yeah and like that's what happens to a lot of people and so you are so very blessed but it's so beautiful that you you have that sense of like gratitude and grace about you that it could always be worse but at the end of the day here we are and we're gonna get through this and it's a very different mentality than just thinking well it could always be worse you know this person's life is shit I mean it's Mm -hmm. so different to think to to literally just that one part of like, it could be worse and, and we're going to get through this because it's never you by yourself. It's always we. And I feel like that has been like a theme across what we've talked about today. And, and really just like in both of our lives that you're never in it by yourself. You're, you always have a team behind you, whether it's your coworkers training for the tough rock with you or the army (laughs) or (laughs) your lacrosse team or your family or whatever it is. And like a lot of people just aren't comfortable reaching out to ask for that help that to ask for that hand. And a lot of people's family are maybe not as in tune family and friends and, and partners and things like that. Maybe just aren't as in tune to know like, Oh, Emma needs help right now. Like she's going through a hard time. And so uh, that's, you know, a big purpose of this podcast for me is like to reach out to people when you're, when you're not sure or when you have a bad feeling that, that they need help. So, and then the last thing that I want to just say on um, just having a higher power, because that is not something that we've, I've really talked about here at all. I am not religious. I went to a Catholic college, but I am not a religious person. I now consider myself, and probably for a few years, I've considered myself a spiritual person, but I was like an altar server in high school. I did that for like my community service hours for whatever stupid thing that you had to do in high school (laughs) to get community service hours because you didn't actually care about what you were doing for the most part. (laughs) I just had to get the hours marked in. But so I was like, you know, involved in the church and I was you know, baptized and had my communion and my confirmation and everything. But I always had such like qualms about it. I just remember disagreeing with so many of the things and, and feeling like their opinions were too harsh, which is so unlike me. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to something a couple of months ago, and I may have already referenced it in another episode, but it was about radical remission in cancer patients. And the woman talks about, I think it was the Mind Body Green, and her name is Dr. Kelly Turner, maybe. But she talks about how there, before she got into this field, there was basically no research on radical remission cancer patients. There were, there was evidence that people had completely recovered miraculously from cancer throughout history, 
but there wasn't any research on what they were doing. So she went in and she got funded and she went and researched and interviewed all of these people. And she found that there were nine common threads between them that all of them were doing, everybody that she interviewed. And I don't remember all nine, but one that I very, very vividly remember because I felt like it was so powerful was about, um, she actually calls it meditation. But the way that she defines meditation is a connection with a higher power greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And so these thousands of people throughout human history that, you know, some of them are still living and that she was able to interview, the one thing that they all had in common, that all recovered, that all fully healed miraculously from having cancer, I'm saying this slowly so that you guys understand because this is profound. One of the things that they all had in common was that they all believed in something that was greater than them. And that's what faith is. And that's what spirituality is. And honestly, I feel like that is a huge, huge thing that we are lacking in our human connection here and during this age. Because when I was getting ready to go to Ireland last year, I started, or actually when I was just getting ready to go to Europe last year, I started listening to these books on tapes. I feel like it was like travel smarter or culture smart or something like that. And it basically gave you an hour to two hours of information on like the history and the culture and the people of whatever country you were going to and like the, you know, the most famous places. And the one in Ireland was really powerful to me because uh, what you said just about being uh, Irish, Italian, Catholic family, and so much of the East Coast is like Irish and Italian. So like, <laughs> I, I feel that deeply, like all of Long Island is Irish, Italian, and either like super Catholic or super Jewish. There's no in between. Um, <laughs> but it was really interesting to hear in this Culture Smart book about how much religion has changed in Ireland. And then they actually make note of how it religion has changed worldwide in the last 20 to 30 years. And a lot of that is a result of, especially in Catholicism, is a result of the Catholic Church and all of the, you know, I don't know how to, how to phrase this, but like, um, I'm, I'm lost on the word too, but we don't, you guys know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. All of the monstrosities that have gone on in the Catholic church in the last 30 years that have been brought to light that have probably been going on across all religions, across Mm -hmm. all human interactions for the entirety of human history, but have been publicized in the last, you know, 20 to 40 years in Catholicism as being related to the Vatican, as being related to the Catholic church, as being related to, you know, um, Catholicism in general and how, so how religion has changed in Ireland and in Ireland kind of as like symbolically for the whole world, because young people have seen the monstrosities of the Catholic church growing up. And they're like, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of religion. I don't want to be part of any of this, I'm going to like choose my own like independent thing, or I'm not going to choose to be spiritual at all. And I'm going to choose to just be independent. And I don't need that. But something that the church has provided for human history and religion has provided for human history, for all of human history, for all of recorded human history is that sense of community and that sense of like brotherhood and that we do look out for our neighbors and we do treat others with kindness. And that has been like such a pillar for, for me to see in you, like something that I've just always seen in you that you were just always like full of love and grace and 
like very humble despite like your intelligence and your beauty and like your talent. I mean, you just, I feel like it's hard to, to have grace if you don't believe that having grace will benefit you in some way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's, there's a lot more to that. And I think that there are kind people that probably don't have any affiliation with religion or spirituality, but it was just, it was just so profound to hear that research and to say, you know, and, and the way that she called it meditation is why I feel like it was so applicable because I'm like, well, I don't necessarily believe in God. I mean, I kind of, I think I do believe in God. I, I really think that I like, even when I was like, I'm a, I don't believe in anything. What's the, yeah. what's the word for somebody who has no religion? Atheist. Uh, I'm an atheist. And I was like very <laughs> angry and teenage angsty and stuff. Um, I always like really deep down, like believes in God. And like when, uh, you know, when the shit really hit the fan, I was like, always like, Oh, please God help me. I'll never, I'll never drink again. You know what I mean? Like when the shit really hits the fan is when you're like, Oh, I actually do believe in God. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. need God. Um, <laughs> but I think that it's just, it's, it's just, it was just really, really powerful because she calls it meditation. And so to realize that, and, and she was like, a meditation doesn't have to be sitting cross-legged with your palms facing the air. Meditation can be gardening. It can be, mm-hmm. running, it can be, you know, woodworking, it can be anything. And, and that is like, I think that that like slow patience and, you know, not having your headphones on and being like intentionally like mindless, intentionally mindless is like when you feel the presence of a greater power and like when you're growing and learning and like when you see yourself crossing those milestones, I think is when you're like, wow, like there, there is something bigger than me. And when you're connecting to the community, like this is so much bigger than me. And we're just so often like in our head, in our ego, stuck in our own brains and it's hard to pull ourselves out of that. So Thank you for bringing religion into the conversation. I know. Was this, is this too early in the season? No, I talk about drugs in episode six, so like, it's fair game. You talk about anxiety episode two, so. And depression episode one. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Nothing's off the table. No. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, everything that you said, and like we said, we could we could expand upon this forever, but I think you and I are on the same page that even though I've identified, like, what my higher power is, and that took some learning, it took some growth, and, and I explored different options and everything, but something kept bringing me back to that, and I think that's because my, my roots, it's how I was raised, it's what I know, right. it's clearly what I've found solace in throughout my life. Um, and yes, I think um, I rely more on that faith when shit hits the fan, which um, isn't always the best practice. So I do, I'm, I'm trying to consciously, and especially now having family of my own and having to teach my son's values and morals, right. I'm like, hey, these worked for me. I, I think I'm, I'm a pretty good person. So I'm going to try them out here too. Um, yeah. And same with, with Will, who he, he wasn't necessarily raised like it to be religious or anything, but his parents were and so he has almost the same values that he was raised with so I think the reason why we work is because we both believe that we need something bigger than ourselves in order to be in a successful partnership and relationship and parents so that's just kind of my my big takeaway and how I try and approach everything with it is that when you're faced with a challenge you need to be able to look to something bigger than you because sometimes you're just not strong enough and that's okay that's that's all right to 
to rely on something else. And sometimes it's not fair to rely on someone else and put all of that on just one person either. So it's, I can't always put everything on Will. That's, that would be a lot. Um, Cause that can be a lot. So, <laughs> so, you know, having that kind of mutual, I guess, and we're still exploring that now, five years into marriage, gosh, like 10 years or something into our relationship in total, we're still figuring out how to communicate effectively, how to fight effectively, how to fight the right way. And just just learning. And and that's something we've been more consciously talking more about is like, the reason why I love Will so much is because he's pushed me and he supports me and he's helped me grow to be a better version of myself and a better person. And that's our goal is to just make each other better. And so we've been consciously talking about like, I've been saying like, when I do this terrible trait that I have, please point it out so I can try and correct it and like realize the moment and what I'm doing and and kind of take notice of it. So that's been, that's been something we've been trying with lately. And I'm just thankful that he's willing to do these things with me to kind of help strengthen our relationship. So yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's you taking responsibility for it and it's you asking him to help you take responsibility for it. And I think that if you aren't having those hard conversations in your partnership and if you aren't growing together, that you get to this point of like stagnant and you aren't growing together anymore. And like, you're trying to like be the same person that you were 10 years ago. You're trying to like get back to, well, we were so happy during the honeymoon phase. Like, yeah, but we've grown and like the relationship has completely transformed like you have a completely different life like things will never be the way that they were you know 10 years ago and that's beautiful because every single version of yourself is a new opportunity for you guys to love each other in a different way and in new ways and as long as you're on the same page on that and as long as you're on the same team working together towards it I think I mean you guys have always been just such a great example to me of like compromise and communication and love and respect and one day maybe I'll get those things. <laughs> I think so. And I, I think you're ahead of the game because you're realizing this, you're exploring this aspect. It's important to have that self-knowledge beforehand. And because Will and I met when we were just young idiots um, <laughs> and who didn't know about individuality, we've had to grow together um, or we've had to grow individually together, if that makes sense. So, you know, everyone's faced with those challenges, but I think that having that self-awareness in advance, I'm a huge, huge proponent of it. And like reading your birth chart, so your astrological Love it. It's like a new new passion of mine. I feel like every couple or every person person should have their natal chart read. Yeah. So basically we're and I'm not an, an an astrology person. I'm not like, what's your sign? Tell me everything and um, I know when you sent me that website <laughs> for my birth chart, I was like, Did this really just did this interaction really just happen? But I was yeah. so excited you did because I was like, I need to know more. <laughs> See, I am growing. Um Yeah, just new interest, but like it's And like being a psychology background and like MBTI and personality tests and all this stuff and having experience with different assessments and everything. I had, this was just like a fun thing we did at work one day. And because a few people on my team are very into it and very in tune with, with kind of that spirituality and astrology and all of that. I read mine and it was 
the most spot on thing I've ever read. Yeah. Um, and it talks Damn. about everything. It talks about who you are professionally, who you are personally, how you communicate, how you handle adversity, how you handle difficult situations, all the stuff. Not all of it is a hundred percent correct. Obviously. Um, it even talks about like physical appearance. It's very funny. And it's um, so strange. Like, how do they know? How do they know? It's your moons. It's your moons. I always call it the moons. Um, let me read your moons. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, I, so immediately I pulled mine and read all that stuff and I was like, I need to know Will. So, um, of course it's like that text of what time were you born? <laughs> so right. if anyone ever asked you, what time were you born? You know what they're doing. <laughs> so, and I read Wells and I was like, gee, if I had read this during pre-K now, we would be miles ahead of where we are at because now yeah. I understand, which I kind of knew. I mean, Will and I are very different when we are fighting or when we're because like he needs space and I need to, as we know, solve it immediately Mother. or I can't Mother. sit <laughs> Mother. With information and love. We need to resolve this immediately. Even if it means yelling, even if it means whatever, we're going right. to talk about this whether you like it or not. So right. it's finding that compromise of like, okay, I know he needs his space, so I'm going to give him that. It might only be seven minutes, but that's all he gets. And then, you know, I'm going to jump in and we're going to talk about this and resolve it and right. be done with it because we know it's not something that's going to last. It's not going to be a fight forever, you know, right. so let's just get it over with. That's right. my mentality with it. So learned that, like learn the communication styles and stuff. I don't remember why I started talking about moons, but um, <laughs> you know, um, we go from- I, I was saying that you guys have like such great communication and such a great yes. relationship. Yeah. And so like you were saying, like having that self-awareness and knowing about yourself mm-hmm. and who you are and all that. Right. And, and I mean, I think we do, we do a, a very good job, but we also work at it. It's not, it, it's not easy. It doesn't come. It's not all like stars and rainbows on the time. It's right. not the Instagram picture it's not you know the Instagram life or whatever that term is of like everyone's happy 24 7 no things are hard but I think we do a really good job of like picking up the slack when the other person can't and just kind of and again I'm trying like trying to communicate that so bringing it back to the tough rock I was like staying up late writing papers waking up early to train all this stuff and like mentally I would just have a day where I would just be like I just need you to do xyz and he'd be like great yep got it and then go above and beyond with it because he knew I just needed that like mental break and that that help yeah the extra help yeah Yeah. I mean you have always been a realist to me also like you've never really tried to sugarcoat things and I think that people can take a lot out of that because that's uh, what you're saying about like the Instagram, like the highlight reel. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to make like a name for myself of like exposing the darkness, but like you have a very like even keel. And uh, again, this is like, you know, the outsider perspective. I I know a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes, Um, but like your posts are never like, this is my forever date and everything is always perfect. And life is so easy. And like your posts are like very like real where they'll be like, I'm so grateful for this wonderful partner for helping me through this challenging year, blah, 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 this, this, this happened. So you're not like so social media vulnerable, like I'm trying to push people to be, but like you're, <laughs> but you're real, like you're, you've always been a realist. And, and I think just being as like 
communicative as you are and as you strive to be is like such a such an amazing skill. And I'm just I'm just so grateful for you. Um, you've been just such a wonderful friend for so many years. And I hope that people can learn something from this episode, like I've learned from you all these years. Yeah, whether it's God or moons or doing a marathon, take with it what you will. (laughs) Whatever you decide to hear from this episode, we encourage you to take it. (laughs) Or that Coach Jim is the best motivator and will make you join the military. (laughs) I know, I should probably tell him that. (laughs) Yeah, that is a really, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize it was that same time frame. Such a blur, but um, no, grateful for you, Lizzo. And I mean, you like you said, you've seen it all. And I think what's interesting about us is that kind of like what you've already shared thus far and been vulnerable about is like the tough times that you went through in college and stuff. And I think, I think I always knew deep down, but it's my, again, of like the Irish part of me, maybe like bury it. We're we're just not going to talk about it unless you want to. I will list, I will be here with the solution ready to go if you're ready to talk about things and stuff. So I think that's where we always kind of had the understanding of each other of like this, this is what's going on in my life. It's really, it's crappy, but I'm going to keep smiling and laughing and, and we're going to have still a fun time because it's easier than facing or talking about it or having that real conversation. And that's what I mean by like my growth. I think I don't think anyone wants to be the same person they were in like high school right? or anything by any means. And if you do all the power to you because that's great, but I think probably a cool version too, but like, Hey, 10 years. Cool version, cool version. But I think we've all done dumb things. We all just don't want to be that same person anymore. And, and we want to just learn and grow and kind of, but also be more vocal and be more aware and, put stuff out there more and instead of these like um what type of relationships am I trying to say um real relationships I guess of like bringing that talking about the hard stuff and and being okay with talking about the hard stuff because even though it's going to be uncomfortable in that moment right it's going to be so much better later right so yeah all right. Well, I think I'm going to end it here. I, I hope that you will come back again and share more vulnerable stories that you don't like to talk about. Yeah. Well, clearly I'm okay talking about them, but it was, it, this was an awesome experience. And thank you because like I said, I'm used to just burying that stuff. We don't, yeah. we don't talk about it. You tell me what's going on and then I'll, I'll I love listening to it. So. I know. You're, you've been my therapist for many, many years. Yeah. And I'm and I'm licensed and qualified and everything, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I love you. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.